So happy to welcome you to Providence. My name is Jacob. I'm one of the pastors here. We begin today in the book of Judges, chapter 6. Verse 1, it says, The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Now, these Israelites that we're reading about in chapter 6 of Judges are the same one. If you're picking up in the story, or maybe this story is new to you, these Israelites were enslaved in Egypt. They were given a promise by God that they would be delivered from slavery, and they were led out into the wilderness. Uh, Some of you remember their story of crossing the Red Sea, and God was with them in very tangible ways, a pillar of cloud to lead them, and a pillar of fire at night to keep them in one place, and he gave them water in the desert, and he gave them bread, but all of it was about this leading to a promised land. And in Judges chapter 6, the people have made it to the land. (laughs) They've come into that place. It was a promise of a land flowing with milk and honey, everything they'd ever need, everything they'd ever want, and they get there, and here we find that once they got to the promised land, They forgot about God. They forgot about God. And so they've been here seven years now under the the power of another people, these Midianites. Verse 2 says, Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. So the once enslaved people of God are now like living like slaves again in caves and in shelters, but they're in the promised land. In verse 3, it says, Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They, that's the Midianites, camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They took everything. Verse 5 says, They, the Midianites, came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them. Or their camels, they invaded the land to ravage it. God's promised land that was to provide everything they needed was now raped and pillaged. Verse 6 says, Midian so impoverished the Israelites, listen, they cried out to the Lord for help. All right, start paying attention now. It got so bad that they were impoverished and they remembered God. So when the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you. I gave you their land. I said to you, I'm the Lord, your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. Hang in. Sometimes God's story gets weirder because it gets before it gets better, okay? And actually right here, it sort of like gets weirder as it gets better. Verse 11 says, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash, the Abizirite, the Joash, just Joe, you can just call him Joash, uh, where, his son, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Verse 12 says, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. We are stepping into Gideon's story. And I realized that I have never preached on Gideon. I've been at this 40 years now, and I've never (laughs) preached on Gideon. And maybe like you, like you might think, say, I've heard the name Gideon, but what did he do? 
Or again, some of us are just brand new to the story, like, I've never heard of Gideon. Get ready, okay? Get ready. Gideon was this young man, we're told he was threshing wheat in a wine press. And you don't have to know a lot about Middle Eastern agriculture 3,000 years ago to know, I mean, you guys know this, right? You don't thresh wheat in a wine press. What's a wine press for? Pressing wine or whatever, (laughs) pressing grapes, making wine. Where do you thresh wheat? I had to look it up. On a threshing floor. So you make wine in a wine press, you thresh weed on a threshing floor to get your bread, but Gideon, the son of Joash, the guy who had the big oak tree, the one that the angel just happened to come and sit down under after the people of God had called out to their Lord after they'd forgotten him after seven years, Gideon was there threshing wheat in a wine press. What was he doing? Gideon was hiding the wheat because the Midianites kept taking everything from their fields. And he hoped that maybe disguised behind this makeshift shelter that they were now living in by a cave, that he could thresh his wheat in this wine press and the Midianites would not steal his family's wheat. And God comes to that boy and he says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. The only way I know to explain this to you is to tell you about the world of Coca-Cola Museum in Atlanta, Georgia. You with me? You know about the, yeah. You know about the world of Coke Museum. It's a magical place that shares the story of Coca-Cola. Uh, it houses actually in a vault the secret recipe of Coke. Uh, there are Coca-Cola artifacts. You guys do not seem interested. Uh, you can get your picture taken with the polar bear. Uh, it's an amazing place. And when you, when you walk into the world of Coke, some of you have been there in Atlanta, um, you, you know, like you're going to any attraction, you go with this long line, you go through the metal detector, you wait, you go up these stairs, and they bring you into this room. It's clearly like a holding room before these closed doors, which open up into the world of Coke. And in that room, there's all these people, there's music playing, it's got a great atmosphere, and there's this big, long bar down the left side of the room where they are handing out free Coke. That is if you've forgotten, you just paid thirty four ninety five for your kid, you know, to get in. But it feels really free. It feels you feels free. You, say, you want a coke? Yeah, I want a coke. And so I walk up with my girls. I'm not a, not that big of a coke drinker, but you know, I like a good coke every once in a while. And I walk into the bar with my girls, and they have different kinds of coke. And I grab. I just happen to grab this green can of coke. It's called Coca Cola Life. And uh, you know, I thought that sounds healthy. You know, that sounds like it's good for the environment. And so I'm in the world of Coke with people from all over the world. It's ice cold. I open it up. It's really good. It's really good. And I start looking, uh, I look down at my girls and they, all my girls have grabbed uh, a different kind of Coke, this red can. And something about it just spoke to me. And I said, hey, do you care if I just take a drink to see if I can see if there's a difference between this and the, and the Coca-Cola life. And so I just, you know, just, if this doesn't bother you guys, I just kind of took the Coke and, and when it, hold on. <laughs> when it hit my lips, I felt the need to repent. <laughs> you know, how, like out loud I'm saying, I don't know why I grabbed the green can. It looked good. It said life on it. I'm so sorry. You know, there is one Coke. His name is Classic. You know, and I threw, <laughs> I threw away the Coca-Cola. I threw away the Coca-Cola life, and I went and got 
what we called when I was a kid, the real thing, you know, the real thing. I've been so excited about this sermon, and I'm hoping it makes sense soon. <laughs> Last February, I went to Los Guasimos, Nicaragua. Mark uh, spoke about it just a moment ago. It's the newest community that this church has partnered with to bring clean water. And we've never done a big campaign for Los Guasimos. You guys give faithfully. It's something that comes out. We're, we're committed to bringing safe, clean drinking water to the people of Nicaragua. So Rachel and I went about a year ago. And we saw the water source that they used. Our truck drove through it where the women would walk down to carry water on their shoulders, uh, where they washed their clothes, where they bathed. And all fall, fall last year, the young women of the community who'd connected with Rachel as a friend would send her these messages and they would say, we have no water. The river is dry. You know, we just get these random messages. The river is dry. When will you come? When will the water system be in place? Which, of course, in many ways was out of our control as we work with the organization down there. But we went back in February, and I told you guys, when we got there, we just so happened to be there when they turned on the water system for clean drinking water for the 50 families of Los Guasimos. I don't really know how to describe that. I have pictures, but as I've thought about showing the picture, it doesn't. I just want you to imagine kids who've never turned on a faucet at their house Putting, just letting water run over their hands and splash it on their face. It was just amazing. And they literally, this isn't like uh, figured, they literally had a celebration for the water where they raised their hands and they praised God. And they said, oh God, we waited so long, but now we have the real thing. A community that's lived in one space and one place for generations and generations celebrated having the real thing in their midst. And I came home from Nicaragua. This sermon series for me was born in my heart the night after I got back from Nicaragua. It was a Saturday night. I should have been sleeping, praying to come here, but I couldn't sleep. I didn't sleep all night because I felt God's presence come upon me in the night, just in a power, just like a heavy but joyful kind of way. And all I could picture was these people with this water. And I was trying to figure out what God was trying to show me. And in the midst of that, God said to me, so I'll, this is for me, and I'm sharing to see if it's for you. Uh, God said to me, Jacob, you, have, you are missing out on so many things. And I was like, like what? And I felt like God saying, you have taken your eyes off in some ways and settled for some good things, but not the real thing. And so I've been reading Gideon for months and months and months. On my time off, I read Gideon over and over. And what I want to tell you about this month is how I believe that we as Christians sometimes find ourselves threshing wheat in a wine press. What I mean by that is we're making bread, sure, but there's better bread. You know, we are drinking wine, some of you more than others, but it's not the good wine. Jesus said, I've come to give you, well, would there be anybody here interested in what Jesus said he came to give us? Here's what Jesus said he came to give us. Life. But he, he puts an emphasis on the life when he says, I've come to bring you more life, abundant life. And so for me, I, you know, I asked God, I was like, what, do, what have I been miss, missing out on? What do I feel I've been missing out on? Life. And things like God showed me this, and I just conf- he said, you aren't reading stories with your girls as much anymore. You don't go outside to see the sunset that much anymore. It's right behind your house. You don't laugh deeply with Rachel that much anymore. You're doing a lot of stuff. You're alive. Nobody would, nobody would you know, question that. But you're settling. 
And God loved me so much, he kept me up all night to ask me, do you want the real thing? You want real water? You want to stop living in a cave when I've brought you into the promised land? And so I would ask you that question this morning. And, and I know it sounds like obvious, but I really would ask you, you know, would you want real life? Because some of us, we're okay with what we've settled for because it's pretty good. Do you want to stop eating subpar bread, you know? Or do you want to just kind of be busy and numb and rushed and just get through life? Because that is an option. But it's not the promised land. The story of Gideon shows us how the people of God got into that place and how they got out. And that's why I'm excited about it. We get there by not listening to God. When we stop listening to God, we settle for less. The people of God were living, have I said this, in the promised land, and they stopped listening to God. How do we know that? Listen to what the scripture says. I delivered you from Egypt. I freed you from a life of slavery. I rescued you from Egypt's brutality and then from every oppressor. I pushed them out of your way and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. And then here it is. But you have not listened to me. They stopped listening to God, and that's all it takes for our eyes to be averted a little bit, to see something up on a hilltop, a God of someone else, and to go after it. All of a sudden, they don't farm their own land. They don't live in their own homes. Their, their crops are obliterated. And just to get bread, they put it in a wine press. When you settle for less than life with God, you live in fear. That's what we see the people of God were living like. It's that simple. When you stop living dependent on God and going after other things with your heart, whether that be making your job more important than God or your kids more important than God, whatever it is, you get really afraid. Because in that place, you go into a protection mode. You have to protect everything. And we're actually not that good uh, at, at protecting things. Most of the time, though, you don't know that you're settling. Okay? Most of the time, we don't even know. And that, that's the hard part. You're drinking Coca-Cola life. You're like, this is pretty good. And if that's your beverage, you know, I'm sorry. Like, I'm really sorry that uh, you're drinking that. But it's <laughs> most of the time. We don't know we're settling, and so we get afraid, and we start living afraid. That's what I do, you know. We come to church, but we don't give everything over to God, because when you're afraid, you're protecting. I feel like a part of my job, um, and, and some of this is something that I'm trying to live into, you know, as a pastor who's been with the same community for 10 years. I feel like a part of my job, when I see it, is to point out places where I think we're settling, settling for less than what God would want us so I want to do that gently. I want to do that led by God, but I want to do that clearly if I see it. And I think a lot of us are settling because we're giving our hearts in divided kind of ways to a bunch of different gods. There's only one real thing, Jesus Christ. Here's the good news. Once you see that you're settling, it's hard to forget. <laughs> like once you see it, once it kind of hits your heart, it's really hard to forget. So I'm going to tell you some things this morning, Pastor Mark and I in this series, about the truth of the life that Jesus has for you. And I hope it's so hard for you to forget. Like I hope there are moments that are difficult in the midst of this series for us because we're like, we can't forget the promises that Jesus has given to us. I hope when you get lost in your phone instead of dancing with your kids, like you'd remember something that we've, that we've talked about here. I hope when you're so tired because you've worked and worked and worked, instead of resting at times like God commands, that your spirit is troubled. 
I hope that some of us see some areas that we're settling for less. And you can't get it out of your mind because God is promising more. What I'm saying is don't settle for a substitute. Each week, we're going to give you a line of a, a don't settle. And the one this week is really simple. It's just don't settle for a substitute for what God wants to do in your life for Jesus. Now, I understand sometimes you need a substitute, right? <laughs> okay, we've talked about that. I know some of you use squash for spaghetti and stuff like that. I don't understand that. <laughs> you know, I, and I'm not trying to get into like the, the sugar conversation. This, this mom on the way out was like, oh, 16 spoonfuls of sugar. And I was like, I'm sorry. Um, what was I saying? That, this mom scared me after the last service. Uh, but, you know, some of us, you know, yeah, you got substitutes for stuff like sweet and low or equal or stevia, which I think is just something scraped off a rock. And, but you understand when you do that that it's a substitute. But with God, there's no substitute. You don't have to settle. You don't have to live your life with less God or some Jesus. Here, here's, what I'm, here's what we're hoping. It's going to take someone who's willing to speak out, right, for us to see this. It takes someone who's willing to speak out. It takes someone who's willing to tear down idols. It takes someone who's willing to march into battle. These are the things we're going to talk about over this series. They sound really not a whole lot like our lives, like something that would happen in the Bible, and we're going to try to make it make make sense for our lives. What God says to Gideon, and get this, Gideon was not great. Gideon was not tough. He was hiding. He was beside a shelter that his family built, you know, making bread and something you're not supposed to make bread in, keeping one eye out for the Midianites the whole time. And God said to him, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. It's a crazy story. Over the next five weeks, we're going to look at Gideon, who becomes the one for his family, who will speak up. This next part, I really don't think is for everybody in here, but it's for some of you in here. There are some of you, and you already kind of have that inclination in your heart, and you know that you're going to have to be the one in your family that speaks out and says, we're not doing this anymore. I don't know what the thing is, but some of you, you know, like, you're going to have to be that person that has the courage to say, we're not doing this anymore. We're not living like this anymore. We're just not doing it. Somebody has to say something, and I'm the one. I've been praying. Last night I came here and I I knelt right here and I prayed in this room that sometime in this series that there might be some fathers who would sit down with their children and say, I've made an idol out of my job, but I'm not going to do it any longer. That there will be some of us that will march into battle. It started with a coward making bad bread, which gives me a lot of hope. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior, and it changed him. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Wednesday morning, I sent a high school freshman off to school. I'm just going to say that again, Bonnie. I sent a high school freshman, (laughs) a seventh grade wildcat to West Wilson Middle, and a third grader over here (laughs) to Rutland. And I looked each one of them in the eye after we did the picture on the front porch, of course. I did it. I said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And they thought I was crazy. But the night before at dinner, I'd shared with them the story of Gideon. I said, remember, this is our family. 
my wife Rachel went to her first day at work. That same day, she had a new job. She, same day, they were sending, like I'm sending everything out, right? And if there's ever been a mighty warrior, it's my Rachel. And I looked at her in the eyes and I said, the Lord is with me, mighty warrior. Because we are done settling. We're just, we're just trying. Like if God says we're mighty, we're gonna say 10-4. If God, if, if, if God calls me a warrior, calls me a coward, a warrior, I'm saying I'm marching into battle. And I want you to say this to the people you love. There's only one directive for week one of this series of Don't Settle, and it is that you say to the people you love, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. It's gonna feel silly at first. Some of you have a first grader who's going back to his third day of school tomorrow. I found the third day of school after the first weekend sometimes can be as hard as the first day of school. And you're gonna have to tell him, He's afraid. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And he won't look like that at first, but what I'm praying is that someday in September or maybe October or November, after you've said it, that you look down and you see a mighty warrior. He's standing up straight because he knows what family he's in. He knows the story. He knows the focus. You're going to come on someone this week who's afraid who's in the battle, who's barely making it. And you are the one who's gonna say, the Lord's with you, mighty warrior. And they're gonna look at you like you're crazy. But you may be, you may have to talk to the teacher who doesn't wanna go back to the third day of school tomorrow. (laughs) You gotta tell her, the Lord's with you, mighty warrior. You may be the one who talks to your mom before surgery or your husband who has depression or your son who's coming out of rehab. You have been entrusted with telling them the truth. And the truth doesn't look like reality. The truth is, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And what if there became this thing that happened in the people that gather in this place? That after some amount of time of believing the truth of this crazy old story in the book of Judges chapter 6 of all things, we began to believe that we were the people that God is bringing into the promised land. And so we don't live like people who live in caves and shelters that we made because we're afraid. And we, we stop making subpar bread and drinking wine that has the chaff of wheat in it. We begin to experience and live the promise of Jesus, which I believe is true, and that is abundant life for you, even you. The Lord is with you, mighty warriors.